It's better to have loved and lost than to have never loved at all. Those were famous words that were written by uh, the famous English poet, Alfred Lord Tennyson. The point of that line is that it's better to have known the, the heights and the joys of love and what it brings and to even experience the sorrow of love lost than to never have known love in the first place. But is that true? I think for most all of us, we'd say it is. If we've lost a loved one, we know well that it was far better to have loved them and to have known their love and to even have known the sorrow of loss and to have never known that love of love at all. I even think this is true with places. It's better to have loved a place and to have lost that place than to have never known that love at all. But those are good loves, and the pain of their loss is worth it. There's also bad loves, loves that should have never marked our lives in the first place. What do you love? Is what you love worthy of something as great and powerful as your love? Can it bear the weight of the worth of your love, even if you lose it? Going back into Revelation chapter 18 this morning, Revelation 18, and those are questions I want ringing in the back of your mind as we work through this chapter. When we left Revelation 17, we saw... God will deal with every one of his spiritual enemies. In that chapter, we saw that God will deal with the great prostitute, Babylon, the world. As we come to this chapter, we see more of Babylon's destiny. Babylon's destiny. Here's the main point I want you to get from this chapter. God will judge and bring this present world to an end. God will judge, God will bring this present world to an end. So do not live for it and do not love it. He's going to judge it. He's going to bring the world to an end. Don't live for this world. Don't love this world. We're going to see this through three points this morning as we work through this chapter. First, we're going to see Babylon's death there in verses 1 through 8. Babylon's death. And then we're going to see Babylon's dirge, D-I-R-G-E. It's just a funeral song, a lament. Babylon's dirge, 9 through 20. Then the rest of the chapter, Babylon's destruction. Babylon's destruction. Now, my prayer for you as a Christian who has trusted in Christ Jesus is that you will be encouraged to keep loving Christ this morning. And if you're not a Christian, I sincerely pray the Lord will use this sermon to wake you up to somber, 
serious reality that you will not love this world that says it has everything, but in the end has nothing. So let's begin by looking at Babylon's death. Look at verse 1, Babylon's death. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her And the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped high as heaven. And God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her and the cup she mixed. And she glorified herself and lived in luxury. So give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen. I am no widow and mourning I shall never see. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. Once again, in Revelation, an angel comes from heaven to reveal ultimate reality to earth. And in this first poetic chorus, of which there's going to be several in this chapter, we learn of Babylon's death. This began long ago in Babel, in Genesis, the world started to organize itself, trying to foolishly create a world without God. And here it all comes crashing down. Babylon, the great, has fallen, fallen. Babylon, once filled with everything you could seemingly want, has now become a dwelling place for demons a haunt, a place you go for what is unclean, spirits and and birds, every detestable beast, mighty Babylon the great, whole world with its pomp and its glory becomes a wilderness. Did you notice this drumbeat in verse 2? Unclean, unclean, unclean. Everything that is unclean is now fit to dwell in Babylon. When the prophet Isaiah, centuries before this, prophesied the unthinkable, the actual downfall of the the Babylonian empire, Isaiah 14, he made it clear that unlike kings that are buried in great tombs, Babylon will be cast out away from a grave, like a a loathed branch. 
not to receive proper burial was especially shameful in the ancient world. And here's the Apostle John picking up on the prophet Isaiah that there will be nothing honorable about Babylon's burial. It's unclean. It's detestable. Notice why she fell. Verse 3, the nations drank her wine of immorality. Kings committed immorality with her. The merchants grew rich from the power of her luxurious living. So Babylon, which was the great empire that opposed God's people in the old covenant, it fell. In John's day, Babylon was certainly Rome. It too fell. And so Babylon becomes a a type, a pattern for the world organized together in rebellion against God. Its form changes. Its essence remains. Here, Babylon is the whole world system with nations and kings and merchants. Babylon is the city of man. Her fall, not a wish. It's a certainty. This is the whole world order now over. This is the certain future of this fallen world that is coming. Now, I don't want you to cheat and look ahead in Revelation. I'm going to spoil it, but I'm going to give you a little hint. There is another world coming, but you'll have to come back to hear about that. This world will fall. This world, though, in all of its wickedness and power, wants to pull at your heart and tell you to make it your home. And in the end, it's going to be a wilderness, desolate, demonic. As we begin this morning, ask yourself what you're investing and hoping to get out of this world. Because your time in this world, in the end of the day, is like a dot. It's so brief. But this world makes you think it's forever. We really can't conceive of this world without us. But that's an illusion. This world that deceives so many about its permanence is deceived itself about its own permanence. So if if you were investing, would you invest everything in a stock that's tanking? That's what giving your life for the values and the goals and the ambitions of this world is like. Brothers and sisters, this world's coming death, its ultimate fall is is meant to encourage you that the path that you're on will prove to be wise. It's foolish now, but that's because this world is marked by folly. It's marked by wickedness. This world is headed for the wilderness. Do not be deceived to think it's permanent. And Babylon's death is also meant to serve the church as a deterrent. What is a deterrent? Deterrent is a thing that is meant to discourage something. So cameras everywhere are meant to discourage you from committing a crime. 
uh, some would debate that the death penalty is meant to discourage you, deter you from committing life-taking crimes. Babylon's death is meant to deter you from living or aligning yourself with this world. Look at verse 4. Come out, lest you share in her sins and in her plagues. Now, it would be wrong to think this is teaching some kind of fundamentalistic separation from the world. What it's teaching is that Babylon's certain death should deter you from living for this world system. That was the temptation for the seven churches, especially Thyatira and Laodicea. They were tempted to indulge in the idolatrous system of the world and all of her excesses. We are tempted to take on the mindset of the world around us, to indulge, to be okay with her idolatries. So here in view of the vision of Babylon's death, the church is to be deterred from compromising with, from blending in, from participating in all that this world is running after all that this world is about. And notice why. Just as the prophet Jeremiah said of the empire Babylon, her sins have reached heaven. So this voice says about the world system, her sins are heaped as high as heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. What is our temptation It's not just to compromise with this world. It's to believe that the sins of this world that are so constant, that are so powerful, that are so in your face, to believe that they will go unnoticed. That they will go on and on. But notice heaven's vantage point. They are heaped as high as heaven. God has remembered them. Nothing is going unnoticed. Doesn't that deter you from jumping into this death spiral that the world is on? How easy it is to start to believe God forgets, that God will not remember. Look at this picture. It's a picture of, of sin stacking up before God. His all-powerful, all-seeing eye and presence. So the church is warned, come out. Don't participate in the world system. Let's be specific about this. We see there in verse 3 that the world is judged for her sexual immorality. I think very well this may refer to the spiritual adultery of, of those doing this, but... Babylon certainly has and continues to uh, rebel against God and the the good sexual boundaries he has set for this world. I want you to consider with the the click of a mouse or a few taps on the keyboard that your supposedly private indulgence in pornography is furthering an entire wicked system. It is destroying the lives of people who bear the image of God. And your temptation is to believe it's private. 
It is not. It is playing out before an entire unseen world, before the unseen God. And your temptation to believe it affects only you, it doesn't. There is no sin that is truly private in this world in which God created and sees everything. You are helping to create a demand for an industry that exploits, that preys on the vulnerable. Come out, lest you share in her plagues. How do you do that? You drink from the satisfying wells that are in Christ Jesus. Your thirst, your desires are met in the greater joys of Jesus Christ. So if that's a struggle for you, bring it to the light. Let others in this body help you come out. Notice the merchants are rich because of this wicked economic system of the world. I I know well, some of you have known and even right now are knowing injustice and wickedness by what is illegal in your workplace. Be assured God sees that here. All of it. Don't compromise. Now, others of you have come to this country specifically to get rich. I want to be clear, it is not wrong to provide for yourself, for your family. It's wonderful. You should do that. It is wrong to love this world. It is wrong to love money. It is wrong to live for this world's good. It's wrong to plunge into the economic sins of this world. It is wrong to view money apart from the glory and the fame and the honor of God. This world creates economies and networks and systems that are full of good things, but in its quest to do so, it does this in defiance of God by making good things ultimate things. Sometimes this world creates entire wicked systems and industries. So this world's coming death is meant to deter you from running after this world. It's not meant to make you an escapist, but to be in this world, but not of this world. This vision is meant to encourage you as a Christian that God sees. He sees the immorality. He sees the injustice that characterizes this world. And it is meant to warn you if you're not a Christian, there will be accountability. The God who created is the God who judge. He remembers. And when God remembers in the scriptures, he acts. Look at verse six. Babylon's death will mean Babylon's judgment. She will get her just desserts. Verse six, pay her back as she herself has paid back others. Repay her double, a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. Seems like she's getting extra judgment. But you can think of that word double as meaning she's getting full measure of what her deeds deserve. The justice being dispensed is exact. It's right. Now, the Apostle John is clearly thinking about the prophet Ezekiel. He wrote in chapter 28 here when he wrote about the city of Tyre. It was a commercial city. It reasoned that it was a god It reasoned that its wealth would protect it 
and it became proud. And the prophet said it would suffer a humiliating death. So here in verse 7, what's Babylon done? She's glorified herself in luxury. She So she gets a like measure of torment and mourning. Babylon thinks she's a queen. She thinks she'll never see mourning as a widow does. She thinks that she is untouchable, above the law. What does a queen do? A queen judges. A queen is never judged. But the reality is, verse 9, death, mourning, famine are her future. Burned with fire. You, you can feel the overwhelming sense of, of judgment here. That what she's sown, she's going to reap. I think if you're reading this honestly, you would say that these judgments almost feel impossible. Plagues, death, mourning, famine, fire? Really? I mean, if, if you're like me and you look at this world, it, its power seems overwhelming. It, it feels almost like there's invincibility to it. But notice what John says at the end of verse 8. For mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. This is not what this world likes to refer to as the impersonal judgment of history. This is the personal judgment of the Creator, holy, eternal God. It's a certainty. Why? Because the Lord God who judges her is mighty. And whatever you are unsure about in the book of Revelation, you should be certain of this. The Lord God, the God who is, is mightier than kings and rulers and nations and the wickedness of this world. Maybe this morning you need, like me, your sight of God readjusted. There's a lot going on in the world. Have you stared more at this world than you have at God lately? You're a Christian, you're God, who's loved you before the foundation of the world was laid, has this kind of might and power. Have you been making this God smaller than He is? Have you started to think, because you're looking at the world, somehow He's off course, somehow God is threatened? Readjust your sight. God's ruling and reigning. The iniquities of this world are stacking up on His timetable. Each one remembered. Each one will be judged either in Christ on the cross or they will be judged in those who have committed them. This chapter begins very frankly with death. Babylon's death. This world's death. And that should deter you from running after, from aligning yourself with this world's rebellious system. What happens after a death? Well, there's a funeral. Here there's a dirge, a lament for the dead. And that's what we see next, Babylon's dirge. Verses 9 through 20, Babylon's dirge. Look down at verse 9. Let's read the different laments of those affected. 
and the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. Merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, and sheep, horses and chariots, and slaves, that is human souls. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you. All your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls. For in a single hour, all this wealth has been laid waste. And all shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors and all whose trade is on the sea stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, alas for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. What is a dirge? It's a somber song that expresses grief. Look how sweeping this dirge is. Look who laments. Verse 9, the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality, and lived in luxury with her. Kings had been in bed with this world. Verse 11, the merchants of the earth. No one's buying their cargo anymore. Verse 15, they gained wealth from her. The second part of verse 17, all the shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors who trade on the sea, The lament is coming from the highest ranks to the lowest ranks, from all classes of people and professions. Everyone who had bought into this world system, who who loved it, who, who gave their lives for this fallen world, are affected. Notice the pattern of the lament. Verse 9, the kings weep and wail over Babylon when they see the smoke of her burning. Verse 11, the merchants, the earth, weep and mourn. Verse 15, they are weeping and mourning aloud. The shipmasters, the seafaring men, the sailors. Verse 18, they cry out. Verse 19, they're throwing dust on their heads. They're weeping and mourning. They're crying out. What's the rhythm of the passage? Weeping, weeping, weeping. They're all singing the same dirge. 
Babylon, the world city, has come to its end and they are devastated. And notice third, the irony of this dirge or lament. There in verse 10, the middle of verse 15, the the end of verse 17, where are they standing? Far off. How ironic. They all were right in the middle of this world and her system. They were in bed with the world. And now the world's trappings are gone. And they want to be far away, far off. The horrors of this world are exposed and they want to get away as far as possible. But it's too late. Their judgment is coming. Each of these groups has suddenly lost everything they were trying to get from Babylon. Kings were living in luxury with her. They were chasing from her their idols of power and prestige and luxury. Merchants. Verse 11, why were they weeping? No one buys their cargo anymore. Like verse 12, the valuable stuff of this world, gold and silver and precious stones. You know, in chapter 17, we actually saw this was everything that adorned the great prostitute. She appeared so beautiful, but it was just that. It was an appearance. We saw that her essence was beast-like and wicked. They couldn't sell their cargo. They, they couldn't sell linen, cloth, and silk, fine materials. And then at the end of verse 12, we see they couldn't sell high-end construction materials, costly wood, bronze, iron, marble, or fine spices. In verse 13, the best of food and drink, oil and wine, and fine flour, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots. What's the emphasis here? The emphasis of the list is on luxury. Luxury. But notice what else is included. Tragically, verse 13. Slaves. Human souls. So wicked that the Scriptures say this world system is that human beings, human souls were reduced to being property for sale to make a profit. Rather than being treated as the infinitely valuable image bearers of God that they are. John knew this was true in Rome. The form changes, but doesn't the essence remain? How clear that the Scriptures are that human slavery being reduced to mere property to be used so other human beings can make a profit is abominable. It's wicked. It's deplorable in God's sight. It's wicked and it will be judged. Human beings being reduced to be used for profit is clear evidence of how wicked this world is. Don't you think that shows us the foundations of the world are off? Anytime slavery in this way has expressed itself in history has been a wicked sin, and we should be clear about that. 
Verse 19, look, the sailors and the shipmasters are mourning. Alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships grew rich by her wealth. Everything they hoped in is gone. Did you notice the speed of the judgment? In a single hour, in a single hour, in a single hour. What do we learn from this? First, we learn the foolishness and the wickedness of living for this world's values. These kings, these merchants, these shipmasters immersed themselves into this world system. They worshipped this world's gods. They went after this world's goods with no thought for the true God and His glory. They tried to get as much out of this world as they could. They appeared comfortable, at ease. If you were to just reason by sight, you would have thought, if we don't go down their path, it's pure foolishness. But theirs was the way of folly. And when they realized it, it was too late. I think verse 14 here is absolutely powerful. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. Gold, silver, luxury, wealth, everything they've given their lives for, never to be found again. That's tragedy. And it's a tragedy that repeats itself again and again and again. To live for this world is folly. This is not a call to minimize work, to hate pleasure. This is not saying don't be wise with your money. This is a call against living for this idolatrous, fallen world. The the temptation for all of us is to be enticed by this world, to want what it can give. We look to it to give to us what this world can never hold. It cannot satisfy our deepest joys. It cannot fulfill our hopes and our confidence. So, So let this text pull your heart, if you're a Christian, away from this world. Let it expose to you the true nature of this world. Let it cause you to long again for the superior joys of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let this encourage you, brothers and sisters, that the road you're walking is a wise road. Don't turn back and run after the stuff of this world. Our gospel, Christ crucified, raised, and ascended, is really good news for this world. If you're not a Christian, not put your trust in Jesus Christ, do you really think that this world can hold the expectations and the weight that you're giving it? Do you think this is revealed by Scripture to kill your joy or to help you stop seeking joy? from where joy can never be found. This is so tragic because this song should never have been sung. And those who sing it 
did not have to live their lives so foolishly. It's a, it's a dirge, it's a lament that I pray none of you will ever sing. Did you notice there's another song? Verse 20. Rejoice over her, O heaven, you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given His judgment for you against her. There's another group in Babylon. Those who lived in Babylon but did not love Babylon for Babylon's sake. They loved her for God's sake. Here's a group singing joy in the midst of this funeral. This passage makes so very clear that this world deserves to be judged and this world will be judged by the very personal creator God who has made you and everything in this world. He will not be mocked by small creatures who live their lives, our lives, for our own glories. What this passage is making clear is the true wickedness, the horrible nature of sin. And if the true God were not good, He would not judge. But He is good. And so He will judge. And yet, also in His goodness, He gives grace through judgment. His own Son, Jesus of Nazareth, has come into this world to live, to die for sinners. He's done this by living His life perfectly. He represented others. He went to an embarrassing and foolish cross to save, but God raised Him from the dead. In this wicked world that will be judged, there is a real salvation that has been won for real sinners. Jesus Christ has died and been raised. You can come to Jesus Christ in this world that is so obsessed with money. And you can buy from Him life without money, without price. What keeps you away from Jesus Christ? What keeps you from repenting of your sin and trusting, entrusting yourself to Jesus Christ for the righteousness He will freely give you? You want to be part of this other group who are in Christ, who are in this world, but are strangely not of this world. Oh, I would plead with you to see that the song of this earth will end in tragedy, but the song of heaven will go on forever and ever in joy. See from this the certainty, the finality of judgment in a single hour. The great, the mighty Babylon will be laid waste. I'll just think about when a storm comes unexpectedly or an earthquake, a tragic event. You know what it's like to see those interviewed. They're so surprised. They're so stunned. They, they with their faces, can just say everything has changed in the world. There's so much loss. That's what happens here. Except here, everything that's been lost is gone forever, never to be found again. Are you living for what will never be found again? I was thinking about our congregation 
so encouraged me. So many of you aren't. Moms come to mind who are faithfully loving and leading and pouring yourself into your children and your families. Brother dads, imperfectly, faithfully trying to love, lead our homes. We're so filled here with young men and young women who are living in these single years not for yourselves. You live for God and His glory and others. Others have come here to make Christ and His gospel known. How encouraging. Keep going. You're living for what lasts. And for you, whatever it is that you're living for that that won't be found ever again, ask God to expose that to you. Ask Him to help you. Forsake it. Judgment is good. It means God. It means His glory. It means His, His truth. His church will be vindicated. And how encouraging is that for you if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ? Suffering now. Witness bearing now. Vindication, glory, later. How do you fight this kind of love for this world? Well, we need to be clear. Those who lament here, their problem, it comes from within, not from without. It comes from their own hearts, not their environment. Guard your loves. Interrogate what it is you love. Ask the Lord to change what you love. I think this is one of the infinite gifts of the church. It's why we unite together so intentionally, covenanting together in a serious way. We're saying we want to help each other to this end. It's why we pursue each other. We guard and we grow each other. We're helping each other in this fight. I want to challenge you if you've been attending here for some time. Don't stay on the edges If all you know of the life of this church is Friday mornings in this hour, there's so much more. Press in intentionally to join with this body. I would just challenge you to see the church as a gift Christ has purchased by his death. Press in. Don't stay far off. Of course, when you read this, you know instinctively there's nothing wrong with buying and selling with merchants Sailors are kings. What's wrong is living in this world as if it's all there is. Those who live for everything in this world in the end got nothing. Don't live for this world. The good news is because of Jesus Christ, you do not have to. You do not have to sing this funeral song. You don't have to live for what will be taken away. This mighty world is not what it pretends to be. She's headed for death, and there will be a dirge, and ultimately, Babylon will face destruction. Let's see Babylon's destruction in verses 21 through 24. And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more. The craftsmen of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of the lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. 
for your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and all who have been slain on earth. If you go to the very end of the book of Jeremiah, the last command that the prophet gives is this. When you finish reading this book, tie a stone to it and cast it into the midst of the Euphrates and say, thus shall Babylon sink to rise no more because of the disaster that I am bringing upon her. God always remembers. His word always proves true. And this mighty angel takes what would have been a great millstone and throws it into the sea. Babylon, the city, will not be dropped. She will not be gently let down. Babylon will be thrown down with violence. And she will be no more. What else is missing with Babylon destroyed? Music, verse 22, heard no more. Craftsmen, found no more. The sound of the meal, what is necessary for necessities, heard no more. And it gets worse in verse 23. The light of the lamp shines no more. Total darkness. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride heard in you no more. How tragic. Everything beautiful and joyful in this world, or not weddings, one of the most joyful events of any culture, is not the coming together of man and woman, the basic command for life being replenished and reproduced in this world. What's the message? Life in this fallen world, this fallen world over, is order is over. No more, no more, no more will image bearers pursue life apart from the true God. God forsaking lives will not go on forever. Just at Babel, so at Babylon, the world civilization will come to an end. Why? Your merchants were the great ones of the earth. You deceived all the nations by your sorcery. The great ones wanted to live their lives in defiance of God, and sorcery, of course, is magic. Babylon deceives with her magic, and all that she offered those who she deceived proved to be just that, a deception. What did Babylon do to those who bore witness to Christ? In her was found the blood of the prophets and the saints. It's what the Babylonian, Babylonian Empire did to the people of God, the Roman Empire. It's what happens now in so many places. It was what will continue to happen. The form changes. The essence remains. Babylon opposed God and His people, and now Babylon finds herself opposed by God. John himself knew this personally. He writes as an exiled man. He knows of the persecuted church. It's so true now in all of our cultures, nations in different ways. This world is headed for destruction. Her sins are stacking up. God will not allow His glory to be defied forever. I think we should be clear that this book makes very clear the suffering of faithful Christians. But don't you see it also makes clear vindication that a great reversal is coming? Hold on, Christian, in witness.
press on in witness. What you are living for will last. But for some of you, what you are living for will be destroyed. Oh, think about how you're spending your time. Consider where your affections are placed. Dig deep into those things. Are they worth the weight that you give them? What convinces you they are worthy of your loves? Do you seek pleasure? Do you seek something in what is created by God more than you do in God? On the flip side, how much more does this encourage you to live for what will last? Brothers and sisters, in Jesus Christ, what you love will ultimately never be lost. In Christ, the world's end will not be your end. It will be the end of this fallen age, but it will be the beginning of an age for which you have hoped for and in which you have invested. Here, the Apostle John in this chapter, he's calling you away from what will be lost, what will be found no more forever. And then hear the Apostle John in his first letter. Do not love the world or the things in the world. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for your word. We give you thanks that you have revealed to us the true nature of this world in which we live. We pray, Lord, that you would help us not to love or to live for this world, but to live for you, your glory, and the world that is certainly coming. And we pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.